Um, this week we're spending uh, the rest of this message time talking about are we living in the last days. And before we get into that, um, I have a question. Um, is the air conditioning on? <laughs> is it on enough? I'm always asking that question. Is it, okay, all right. Everybody who thinks it needs to get a little bit colder, just raise your hand. Just let me know. Let me know. All right. Yeah, okay, we got some northerners around here somewhere. Nice. All right, Michigander right there. Cool. So could, if someone could, could, could look into that, that would be awesome. Um, I, I said northerner because I am from Michigan originally. I've been living here in Texas for eight, uh, eight and a half years now. And um, so I've migrated south. But I still like the air conditioning. Um, uh, let's, let's go ahead and, and open our Bibles right now. We're going to look at Joel we're going to look at some interesting passages as we, answer, as we attempt to answer this question today. Um, Joel chapter 2, verse 31 is our first scripture, which is um, talking about the end times. And basically, uh, in, in, in the short answer to the question, are we living in the last days? The short answer is, I believe that, yes, we are. Um, having studied scripture a lot, um, I have a degree in Bible college, if that means anything. Um, and I've been, I've been studying scripture uh, since I was 12 years old and just front to, uh, front to back, you know, cover to cover. And it, it really seems to me like uh, so many things are coming together um, here in the generation that we live in. So many things are being fulfilled that I really do feel like we are actually living in the last days. Um, I actually, I literally believe um, that we are. And just, just, just by way of introduction, what we mean by the last days, um, uh, if, if, if those of you that don't know, um, as Christians, we believe uh, that Jesus Christ is returning to the earth. Uh, he came roughly 2,000 years ago. Um, li he, he literally came to the earth as a man. Uh, he literally lived. He, he literally died. He literally rose again on the third day. He literally ascended into heaven, like he floated up into heaven. Disciples were standing there going, where, where is he going? And now he is he's literally seated at the right hand of the Father. We believe those things to be actual and literal truths. Um, it's not just an allegory or a story. Um, Jesus Christ is actually seated at the right hand of the Father. And we believe that he is literally actually going to return to the earth um, to rescue his kids, to rescue those that believe in him. Um, and uh, so, we, like, we could spend a whole sermon series just on that. But just to clear that up, that's what we mean by the last days. What we mean is, do we, be, do, do, do we think that we are living in the days just before Jesus Christ returns to rapture and to rescue his, his church? And so the short answer is yes. And now I want to spend the rest of the sermon explaining to you why I believe that. Um, there's obviously, there's so much that we could preach about and talk about. But um, uh, we only have about, about three hours here um, to share with you. So I got <laughs> to cram it in. Just kidding. Um, all right, Joel chapter 2, verse 31 says, <clears throat> The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord. That the Lord comes. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord. Genesis 1:14 says, God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. These verses don't make sense right now, but I'm going to explain them here in a minute. Uh, and then the third verse that we're going to look at is Matthew chapter 24, verse 3. And this is really uh, a great way to start the message. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us, 
When will this happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? It's interesting to me that even while Jesus Christ was on the earth, his disciples said, when are you going to come back? <laughs> it's, it's, just, it's just funny to me. If I were Jesus, I'd be like, like I'm, I'm right here, man. What are you talking about? But Jesus doesn't mess with them. He knows exactly what they're talking about. And they, through uh, the discipleship, being discipled by Jesus, they understand that he's going to go away. And they understand that he is going to be returning and that that's going to signal the end of the age, the end of the world. And so their question to him in Matthew 24, actually it's verse 3, that's right in the beginning of the chapter. If you read the whole chapter, Matthew 24, Jesus gives quite detailed explanation about about the circumstances surrounding his coming. Now, he doesn't say when he's coming back, but he does give them pretty specific signs. And so if you're, if you're interested in, in studying this further, please look up Matthew chapter 24 and check that out. But I, I, I wanted to read that scripture because I want you to know that, that, that really this is a question that you all have and I have and we have that many people have had from the very beginning. Like before Jesus even died and rose again and, and, and went up into heaven, the disciples were wondering, how are we going to know? How are we going to know that, that you are returning? How are we going to be able to tell um, when is the time of your returning? And so this is a question that's very pertinent to us, and it's a question I think is very important for us to look at and to think about. Um, would you pray with me just as we get started? Lord, I thank you for this day and for this time that we have these few moments that we just open up your word. I pray that you would bring revelation to your word. It's one thing for us to read something. It's another thing for us to understand something. Help us, help the eyes of our understanding to be opened up so that we don't just read, we don't just listen to somebody talk, but that we, we see Jesus Christ. Nothing changes us except a, a clear vision of you. So help us to see you through all of, all of the scripture and through all of the thoughts today. Help us to have a clearer picture of who Jesus Christ is and let that impact us and change us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. There's a, there's a few things uh, that we could talk about when we talk about the last days and the return of Christ. Uh, basically, um, uh, there are a lot of people who are seeing some similarities between what's happening in the news and what is written in Scripture. Uh, CNN did a poll a while back, and over, over a third of Americans believe that, that stuff that's happening in the current events of our day are things that were foretold um, in Scripture. So several people are asking that same question. They're asking, are we living in the last days? They believe that we are. And so when you turn to Scripture, when you turn to the Bible to really understand the days in which we live, uh, there, the Bible has much to say about the last days and about the return of Christ. In fact, it's like once in every 30 verses in Scripture, there's that, 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 that thought comes up. Uh, and, and in fact, there are, I think there are 216 chapters in the New Testament, and there are 300 references to the return of Christ or the end of time in the New Testament. So you can't hardly open the Bible without finding a chapter, without reading a single chapter of Scripture, without hearing something about the last days, something about the return of Christ. And this, is, this, this, this makes my job today really difficult. That's why I said I'm preaching for five hours, because... Um, 
Check and see if you're paying attention. Uh, because there's like so much that we could just cram into this. But I really, I really would like to do a whole sermon series, um, maybe on the book of Revelation at some point, because I, I just think it's so fascinating and so pertinent to our situation today. There's a few things that I, 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 I want to kind of get out of the way first. Some reasons why I believe that, that, um, that, that we are living in the last days. There's some interesting signs going on. Um, in this particular, even week, <laughs> like even this week, there's some very interesting things that are happening, and uh, I want to make you aware of them, not to scare you or to sell you my book, because <laughs> I don't have a book, um, and I don't even have harryfleming.com. I can't send you there. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not going to make any money off of this, but I want you to understand some, some interesting signs, some signs that I think are quite fascinating, and I don't think it means that the world is going to end this week, but I do believe that we are moving very quickly. Some things are being fulfilled very quickly, stuff that's never happened in the history of mankind. Uh, one such thing is the advancement of technology. Um, never before have we seen this kind of technology in the world. Um, in Matthew 24, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says... Basically, the very last thing that's going to happen before he comes back, he says, then this message of the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all of the nations. And that word nations is actually, uh, the original word is ethnos, which means ethnicities. So he's actually he's talking about people groups. He says, this, 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 this gospel is going to be preached to all of the people groups in the entire world, and then the end will come. Well, this has never been really very possible before in the history of, of the world, because if somebody wanted to reach a people group, you would, you, you, you would have to go live in that area, you would have to build expensive buildings and bring in literature and do a whole lot of work in order to reach that one people group. And so now, because of the internet and technology, uh, I mean, just, I mean, like an entire Bible college can be put onto a microchip, you know, and, and the entire world can be reached. There's another passage in the book of Revelation that says there's going to be two witnesses and they're going to die in the streets of Jerusalem and the whole world is going to see it. Never before on our planet has the whole world been able to view something that's happening in one specific geographical location. But now everybody's got a cell phone and everybody can film stuff and, and the whole world is able to see stuff. And so we're, we are closer, I feel, uh, technologically speaking, we're closer than we've ever been. And, and by the way, we're also doing some really, really weird advancements. Like um, I was reading in Time Magazine about this group of, of scientists over in Switzerland. And uh, it said in Time Magazine, I was like, this is real. Like, isn't anybody worried about this? But they're trying to like recreate the Big Bang. I don't know if you've heard about that, but CERN, CRN, like these are the guys who actually created the internet, right? Like seriously, 1989, they invented the internet, not Al Gore. Um, these guys, like they're really, really smart people. And they're trying to, as uh, uh, National Geographic says, they're trying to find the God particle. So, they're, so they're, 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 they're breaking down atoms and breaking them down further and getting into quarks and all sorts of things that are way above my pay grade. And um, it's weird to hear them talk about it, though, because they talk about trying to find tiny black holes to access a parallel universe. I'm like, parallel universe? What is going on? Uh, the advancement in technology is amazing. It really is phenomenal, the things that we are dis discovering. And, and I'm, not, I'm, I'm not against technology. I'm not, I'm not against things. But I do think, I do think there, there are two main reasons why, why scientists would, would study um, science. And one is to reveal the fingerprint of their creator. The other is to try to erase that fingerprint. 
And uh, I, think, I think whenever we try to erase a fingerprint, I think God always steps in and intervenes. Um, for instance, in Scripture, there was a, a bunch of people came together and said, we're, we're going to build a tower that's going to go all the way up to the heaven, and then we're going to be like God. And God looked down and said, yep, they can do it. And so God stepped in and intervened. So God typically steps in and intervenes whenever we try to play God. Uh, but it's very interesting, uh, some amazing scientific discoveries that are, that are happening here. And then, of course, there's Facebook, and that, you know, that, that obviously is, it makes us the best generation ever um, <laughs> because we now have social media. Uh, but knowledge is, is greatly increasing. And, um, and, even, and even just uh, last week on uh, September 13th, uh, we, we, we ended a year of uh, part of the Jewish calendar. The first scripture that we read is that, is that God gave the sun and the moon and the stars for signs and for seasons for holy days. Uh, that what he's talking about holy days is not necessarily Sunday. He's talking about the Jewish calendar that God set up in the Old Testament and said, I want you to, I want you to have a feast here and it's going to be about this and I want you to have a feast there and it's going to be about that and, it's gonna be, and then I want you to have a feast. I mean, basically, in, when, when God sets up a government, he, he creates mandatory parties. <laughs> a whole bunch of them. You know, people are like, I don't want to serve God. He's too boring. It's like, no, mandatory parties. Like, you have to take the week off. You got to spend time with your family. You got to sit back and eat and drink and be merry. Like, you got to have a good time, darn it. You know, God is so strict. I just, I just, ah, God, can I just work all day, Lord, you know, and just not. But no, God sets up these mandatory feasts. And the way he did it is he, is he used the, the, primarily the, 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 the lunar calendar, for the Jewish people. And so it's very, very interesting. I don't, I don't know if you're into this at all, but personally, I, I like to keep an eye on the Jewish calendar because several times in Scripture, when God's about to do something big, he does it in correlation with the Jewish feast day. Um, for instance, if you read the Gospels, many of Jesus' messages, he stands up and speaks. Well, the writer of the Gospel tells you just before Jesus does whatever he's about to do, whether feeding the 5,000 or standing up and saying, whoever is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whatever Jesus is about to do, oftentimes the writer tells you the feast day that this was either on or approaching. You say, why is that important? Because it's like um, it, when you say something and when you do something is, more, is almost as important as what you say and what you do. For instance, if I were to stand up and say, I have a present for you all today, you, know, you would think I was very strange and very odd, so I'm not going to say that because I don't want you to know how strange and odd I am. But if it's December 25th and I say I have a present for you, that seems very common because December 25th is Christmas and lots of people give presents. So the context of what God does, he often does it in correlation with what, with what he has already previously set up in his calendar. So to check uh, some Jewish calendar events, um, this past week, September 13th, we ended what's called a Shemitah, and that's a year-long rest where that God commanded at the end of seven years, at the end of six years, you have a seventh year of rest that you give to God, and you don't work the land. You give the land rest. And this, God attached a promise to this to the nations that followed him. He said, I'm going to bless you if you do this, and, and then I'm going to curse you economically if you don't. And so what's interesting is, I don't know if you followed any of the study of the Shemitah, but there, there are several things that have happened on the closing of Shemitahs uh, with, with respect to the American uh, economy, uh, but also the world economy of those 
those nations that are not following God anymore. Um, and so we just ended the Shemitah, and um, I don't know if anything big has happened, but it is interesting that this, that, 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 that this Shemitah is, is falling um, in, a, in a season that is about to start what is the year of Jubilee. So every, God always works in sevens, by the way. Uh, I don't know if this is boring to you, but God always works in sevens. He, he does things in sevens. And so seven is a huge number in scripture. Seventy is a huge number. Seventy times seven is a huge number. Seven, seven, seven is a big number. Well, well uh, when, when, when God set up the Shemitah, he said, I want you to rest every seventh day uh, or every seventh year. Um, that's based on the seven days of creation. God rested on the seventh day. And so he says, I want you to rest every seventh year. And then every seventh seven or every seventh Shemitah that's 49 years on the 50th years the 50th year I want you to have kind of a super Shemitah or a, or a big rest called the year of Jubilee and this is where you not only rest but you forgive all debts so if somebody owes you something they don't owe you that anymore and in fact slaves were were, 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 were set free during the year of Jubilee so it was like this super Shemitah this super rest and and, and this week, we are entering into a, a year of Jubilee. September 23rd is the beginning of the year of Jubilee and the Jewish calendar. And this isn't just any Jubilee. This is the 70th Jubilee of recorded history, like dating back B.C., before Christ. This is the 70th Jubilee, which is an important number. And not only that, but if you want to get really weird with it, um, it's been Jesus, when, when, when Jesus died, he died in the middle of a Jubilee year. Um, is, is what is believed. He, he was crucified in the middle of a jubilee year. And this will be 40 jubilees since Christ died and, and rose again and ascended and was seated um, at the right hand of his father. The reason why that's important is because the prophecies about Jesus say that he would sit on the throne of his father David. And David reigned for 40 and a half years. And it's been 40 coming up on in mid-2016 mid will be 40 and a half Jubilees since Christ has been at the right hand of the Father. And I don't know if I'm not into predicting dates, but I think that's just interesting. I think that's fascinating, the Jesus and David correlation and the Jubilee correlation. We are in the 70th Jubilee. We are stepping into that. And on September, and there's some weird things happening on September 23rd. It's just, you know, there's a lot of conspiracy theories about, around that. The Pope is coming to speak to the American Congress for the first time in all of U.S. history on the, the 25th, I think. Um, so it's kind of fascinating. Then in the midst of all this, on the 28th, a week from today, we're having the fourth blood moon. I don't know if anybody, anybody heard of the blood moon phenomenon thing. There was a movie by John Hagee. I didn't go see it. Um, there was a book. I did not read it. Um, so just as a disclaimer, all right, just as a disclaimer, I decided to do a little bit of my own research. And what I've found with the, with the blood moon thing is that, it, that there is a, a, a teaching surrounding the blood moons, and, and it is quite interesting. I don't think that it's, it's necessarily a way to predict when Jesus is coming back, but it is interesting to look at um, the history of the four blood moons coming together, and so I've, I've, I've written down exactly what, what we're talking about when we say blood moons, because a blood moon, yeah, it looks like that. It happens about once every six months. They're quite common. It's also known as a lunar eclipse. Basically, the, the, the earth comes, comes in the way and blocks out the sun from shining on the moon, and the, the, the light from the sun, the, the rays kind of refract around I don't know if that's the right word, but they kind of bend around the earth and give off this red hue on the moon. And so it looks red-ish. It looks blood-ish. Well, um, uh, that's, that's not uncommon. It's about every six months this happens. Uh, what is uncommon 
is for there to be four uh, blood moons, four lunar eclipses coinciding on Jewish feast days with six full moons in between and no intervening partial lunar eclipses. That's called a tetrod. <laughs> That's what NASA calls a tetrod or a tetrad. Uh, whenever you have four with no intervening lunar eclipses and, and you have six full moons in between uh, of those red moons, that's called tetrad. There's only been, I think, 55 tetrads in the past 2,000 years, so it's fairly uncommon. But what's really uncommon is when they all land on Jewish feast days, like I was talking about Jewish feast days before. Um, that has only happened, uh, we, we believe has only happened 10 times in the last 2,000 years. The past three times have been quite significant. Um, seasons for us as Americans, for Jews especially, um, uh, and for the world in general. Uh, the, the one uh, about 500 years ago was, happened in 1492. Um, those of you who know anything about history, somebody sailed the ocean blue uh, in 1492. Uh, 1492 was an interesting year. The reason that some believe that Columbus was actually sailing the ocean blue is he was trying to get away from Spain, because what was happening in Spain was not pretty. It was something of the Spanish Inquisition. Um, and uh, basically, Spanish Inquisition is when the king and queen of Spain told all the Jews, roughly between 150,000 and 400,000 Jews living in Spain at that time, they said, you have to get out or convert or die. Those are your options. Get out of Spain, convert, or die. And so there was a mass exodus of Jews leaving Spain. There was about 50,000 who stayed back and supposedly converted. The Spanish Inquisition was basically where the Roman Catholic Church said, we don't think you really did convert, so we're going to inquire of you. It's an inquisition, and we're going to torture you until you confess that you didn't really convert. And then they were usually burned at the stake when they confessed that they hadn't really converted. Uh, it's a very dark time in the history of the church, very dark time in the history of the world. Um, it's just very devious activities going on. So there's this dark time, especially for the Jewish people. Uh, and then 1492, Columbus discovers um, what would become America, which, which would become a place, a harbor for many Jews to come and to, and to thrive and to, and, and to prosper here. Um, and that year, there was a tetrad of four blood moons landing on Jewish feast days. Uh, the next one is um, 1948, uh, and there was something significant that happened in 1948 for the Jewish people, and that is that the UN granted them uh, a statehood, nationhood, uh, and gave them a little piece of land that corresponded with the land that they had owned in, in biblical times, although it wasn't the full land, it was a piece of it about the size of New Jersey. And um, prior to 1948, there was a little negative thing that was going on known as the Holocaust. Um, and um, it was out of that, and uh, right coming out of that, that there, this, this four blood moon tetrad happened on Jewish feast days. And then this amazing thing opened up for the Jewish people that they were allowed to go back to their homeland. The next one that happened, next tetrad, and I'm running through these, there's a lot to talk about, but 1967, which in the Jewish uh, uh, history, the, 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 the history of the, of the nation of Israel is when they fought what is known as the Six-Day War. And so a bunch of uh, Israel's neighbors decided that they really um, did not want Israel there or even existing. And so they came together and just started an onslaught um, to take out Israel. And the first day they, 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 they made tremendous progress. The second day they made even better progress. Israel was losing its soldiers. They were outnumbered. I think it was something like 50 to 1. It was, it was quite amazing. Uh, the third day, they lost even more. By the fourth day, though, things started to turn around, and they ended the war. They drove back the enemies of Israel even further. The, the enemies were living, they did have control of Jerusalem, and at that point, they drove them further, and they, and they were reunited. Israel was reunited with Jerusalem during that war. 
it's, uh, God's enemies need to understand a little thing about the fourth day because the third day is kind of important. You don't just give up after three days, okay? Something's going to happen after three days. But uh, God, God helped the, his people to kind of take back the land. And that's now what's known as the occupied territory. Uh, that's what the media calls it as the occupied territory. It's what they won during the Six-Day War. So there was a tremendous difficulty for the Jewish people in 1967, and then there's this amazing breakthrough for them. And um, now, here we are in 2015, and there have been uh, three blood moons, and the fourth blood moon is coming up next week, uh, September 28th, Sunday night, and um, I don't believe the world is going to end on September 28th. Um, but I do believe that it's interesting that I do think that something is going to happen this year that's going to really help uh, the Jewish people. Uh, and really provide for them. I know there's been some negative things happening to them over the past little while, and um, I just, I'm, just, I'm just curious to see what's going to happen um, to, uh, to the historical uh, version of God's people. And by the way, anytime you're talking about the end times and you're reading the book of Re Revelation or the book of Daniel or the book of Joel, all of these things are centered around Israel. So, so God is very invested in the people of Israel. God is very invested. He's made eternal promises with the Israelis, with the Israelites. And even though they, they have, as a nation, rejected his son, Scripture tells us that they will, at the end times, they will turn to Jesus Christ and re realize that he is their Messiah, and, 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 and they'll, they'll be grafted back in. They'll be saved. And so, so if you're interested in what's happening in the Middle East, um, you should be, because that does say a lot about where we are with regard to the signs of the times. Um, and that's about all that I have for you. <laughs> I, uh, I have plenty of scripture that, that, that could tell you other, uh, uh, even further about why we are living in the last days. But really, what, what, we, what we really want to know is what time is it? Uh, we want to know in terms of the, the overall time of history, how much time do we have left? And what time is it right now? And I grew up in a household, and uh, I'm going to throw my family under the bus here, um, <laughs> my mom's watching online. Uh, I grew up in a household. We were not very punctual. We were not known for our punctuality. Let's put it that way. All right. We, um, uh, we, uh, you know, we we believe in being fashionably late. Um, it's okay, you know, especially when it's friends and family. If there's one thing that we thought was kind of, you know, rude was to be early. That's rude because. Folks aren't ready when you're early, right? They're still vacuuming and cleaning and sweeping and stuff. They don't want early people in their house, you know? So we are, we are thinking about other people. We're basically so considerate that we did not want to inconvenience them by showing up early, you know? And it's like, oh, there's stuff. Oh, can I hold this? Oh, sure. You know, put your, your underwear away in the, okay, no problem. Okay. Yeah, we didn't want to inconvenience people. Um, this is where my wife and I are quite different. She grew up being 15 minutes early. I grew up being a few minutes late. Um, and I just got comfortable with that. And that's kind of the way that, that and it's not that our family was always late. We weren't always late, especially for church, man. We were like, we were like early on time for church. Um, but going over to people's houses and dinner and, you know, meeting here and there. It was like, we'll meet you at the, at the restaurant at 7-ish. That's usually ish was added to things. And, um, but my dad was probably the one person in the family who was actually always pretty much on time. I don't know that he's ever late for work, and he never sped. He never, like, I, I saw my dad break the speed limit once in his life. He just didn't believe in that. And he was always pretty much on time. So whenever the family's getting ready, there's me, there's my brother, there's my real little sister, and there's my mom. Uh, my dad was always, as far as I remember, mom and dad, I could be wrong, but my memory is that my dad was always ready early. And he was standing at the door. And even now when they come to stay and we're getting ready to go somewhere, dad's just hanging out at the door. 
He's just like, you know, he's just like, he's just standing there, you know? And it was, and it was, and it was funny because I'm, I'm from Michigan. And so it gets quite cold in Michigan, like, like 10 below zero cold. And so it's, it's very helpful if somebody goes and starts the car and gets it warmed up beforehand. Well, mom, like as she's running from one bathroom to the other, you know, like, and, and, and getting her pants out of the dryer and things like that, she'll see dad standing there. She's like, what are you doing standing around? Have you started the car? No, I thought you know, I was waiting for you. And this is kind of the way that the getting ready was, was kind of the conversations that were taking place. And so dad has learned to go start the car. Don't, don't wait to be told. And, and this, which is good, which is good. Um, so, you know, everybody, we all got to do our part to get, to get the family out of the door on time. But one thing that, that, we, that I always remembered, and that is now kind of a joke in our family, is that, um, is that mom, when mom was just about ready, um, she would say, we got five minutes. That's what she would say. Now, this had nothing to do with, 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 with the watch on your wrist. Uh, it didn't mean we have five minutes till we have to leave because usually we had like, you know, we should have left like five minutes ago and, and according to the watch. But this had everything to do with how ready mom was and how ready we all were. And she's gauging everything, you know. So she's got her hand. She, 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 she kind of knows what's going on. And she's like, and she's like, you know, we got five minutes. We got we to gotta stop for this. We got to stop for that. We got to be there. And she, and she, but the five minute thing was kind of a, a quote now. And so now whenever they're staying over at our house, pretty much as soon as we start getting ready, I'm like, mom, you got five minutes. And she's like, I know, I got five minutes. It's just kind of a joke now. But at the time, as a kid, you know, you kind of learn to live by that. So you're getting ready, you're getting moose in your hair. See, the reason my dad was always ready so early, because he wore the same jeans every day. He wore the same shirt, basically, every... I mean, he just, like, same shirt, shoes, jeans. I Like, he looked at his hair in the mirror. I don't think he did, really, like, any... Like, he just kind of brushed a little bit. And he's ready to go. Me, like, I got to put gel, and I got mousse, and, you know, I got to, like, make sure that I'm wearing something different than I was wearing yesterday, maybe even this morning. I mean, I don't know. I might need to change it up. And so, you know, it took me and, and, and the rest of the family a little bit longer to get ready, but, but whenever mom would say, five minutes, like, that's when you knew, okay, like, we, were, we, we said we were going to leave at this time, but that time's already passed, but when mom says five minutes, that means it's really five minutes, you got to get your stuff in order, you know, get off the couch, stop watching the football game, and get ready to go, like, that's what you have to do, and so I think, I, I, personally, I almost see God in a similar way, I don't feel like God has a set clock on his wrist, and he's like, okay, all right, he goes, I feel like he is, he's waiting for the right time, and I almost feel like he's just kind of shouting out, you got five minutes, <laughs> you got five minutes, it's close, so here's the thing, even if we're not living in the last days, even if, say, Jesus isn't going to come back for another 10,000 years, let's just, let's just say that, throw that out there, uh, it's going to be like the 1400th jubilee, he's going to return, and uh, we all got the 70 thing wrong, um, even, even if, which scripture says, no man knows the day or the hour. So let's just throw, maybe he's 10,000 years away. You are living in your last days. I can guarantee you, you are living in your last days. I am living in my last days. Time is short for all of us, whether Jesus comes back or we die. The Bible says that our life is, is like a vapor. It's like, a, it's like, it's like, it's like mist that, that goes up into the air and then it's gone. That's exactly what life is. Life just speeds by. We are living in our last days. And so the real question is not so much um, what time is it as much as what should we be doing with the time that we got? With the time that we have, what should we be doing? And so I want to read a quick scripture uh, for you where Jesus basically shares 
what we should be doing. Uh, it's found in Luke chapter 12. Um, Jesus is having this dialogue with his disciples, and, and uh, there's this huge crowd there. This huge crowd is gathered there, and the Bible says they're trampling each other. So it's, it's, just, it's, it's just it's chaos. And Jesus isn't really even addressing the crowd. He's just speaking to his disciples. And so if, if, you, if you have it, do we have it on the screen? So he says in verse 35 of verse 12, he's talking to his disciples. He says, I want you to be dressed and ready for service and keep your lamps burning. So he's, so he's saying it's late at night. It's, it's, it's the last days. I want you to keep your lamps burning like servants who are waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet. By the way, the whole wedding banquet thing is very interesting. I've been studying that, and I really do want to do a sermon series on wedding banquets and biblical wedding banquets. They have such significance. So, so the master of the house has gone away to a wedding banquet, and he says, you guys are like the servants, and you're waiting there, and, and you, need to be, you need to be watching. You need to be waiting for their master so that when he comes and knocks on the door, they can immediately open the door for him. Verse 37 says, it will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. That word watching is interesting because in our, in our English version, the word watching sounds like it's something that you do with your eyes, right? Sounds like those servants should be, should be sitting there looking out the window, you know? Dang, master's like, nope, no master yet. He's not there. That's what we think of. But actually, in the, in the original language, it's a metaphor, it's used as a metaphor, kind of like when we say it's raining cats and dogs. We don't really mean cats and dogs are coming from the sky. We mean it's a lot of rain. Now, why we say cats and dogs, I have no idea. But just you go study that. Somebody study that and let me know because that bothers me. <laughs> cats and dogs falling from the sky. This is bizarre. Um, but we say that. We don't really mean that. It's the same thing here. It's a metaphor. Jesus doesn't really mean for people to sit and watch. It's a metaphor, and the metaphor is that you would stay busy, but that you would stay busy not just, not just doing a bunch of stuff, but you would stay busy doing what you are supposed to be doing, what you should be doing. Because obviously, the master is going to come and knock at the door. You don't have to be watching because he's going to knock. You're going to hear the knock. The, 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 the issue is, are you busy doing what you should be doing? He says, uh, blessed, it's good for them that if he finds them watching or doing what he had told them to do. Truly, I tell you, and this is amazing to me, that the master, that Jesus Christ will dress himself to serve. He'll put on his apron, he'll put on his service clothes, and he will have them, the servants, recline at the table <laughs> and will come and wait on them. That's a beautiful picture of heaven, by the way, <laughs> where God tells you to put your feet up and relax I'm going to get you everything you've ever wanted. Can you imagine God putting on his apron for you? That's crazy. That's amazing. Verse 38, it will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. In other words, he's going to, it's going to be longer than you think. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. And then Peter asked, asked this question, and because they're, they're in the midst of a crowd, and Peter's, Peter's, Peter's curious about this. He says, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everybody? And Jesus doesn't actually answer him, but he does further explain what he just said. He says, he says who then, and he's asking Peter, he says, who is the faithful and wise manager or servant, manager of the house? Who is the faithful and wise servant whom the master puts in charge of his servants? to give them their food allowance at the proper time. 
So these are, these are some things that I feel like God has given us some instruction. First of all, we have to be ready. And by ready, he means doing what he's called us to do. What has he called us to do? If you're, a, if you're a servant and you're over a house, your job is to take care of the house. That's your job. And so our job is to take care of God's house. God's house is not a building, and it's not certainly not a theater. God's house is the church. God's house is people in the church. God's house is, is not the building of the church, but the people of the church. And that's why we've been focused not on trying to figure out if Jesus is coming back on September 23rd or 28th or mid-October next year or whatever, or forecasting. We're focused on building up his house. Yeah, in the past eight months, we've seen 150 people make decisions for Jesus in this theater as a result of us being busy doing things to reach out to people to build his house. That's, what's the, I mean, that, that's what he's called us to. He hasn't called us to sit there at the door watching. Okay, is he coming? Is he coming? I think maybe he's coming. I think, I think maybe that's a sign. That was kind of like a sign right there. It's okay to poke your head out the window every now and then and be like, man, it's looking pretty dark out there. Yeah, man, I think, I, I, I think it might be soon. But what that translates to me is, man, we really got to get busy doing what God's called us to do. We really got to get busy building his house, taking care of his house reaching people who are far from him, reaching people who have given up on him, reaching people who used to know him when they were kids and because they got offended at somebody in church and they never went back and they think Christians are all this and that and the other. We ought to be reaching those people, building his house. And, and, and honestly, that's what's happening really throughout the world. Um, I, I have a population graph for you. We'll go back to the scripture, but if you guys could show that. This is amazing. Like, we're living in the most, literally the most amazing time in the history of the world. This is the population graph from basically, it's 1 AD until uh, 2050 AD. And we're right up there um, just before it gets to the red. This is the population of the world as estimated uh, by the census data. Like, we have <laughs> skyrocketed in the last just few years. And what's happening because of that, really, the, the, the past couple of centuries, the, be, be, because of that, there are more people alive than have ever been alive in, in, in the history of all the world combined together. Hey, come on, somebody. And there are more people alive. And not only that, but there are more people that we can reach for Jesus. And so the, the statistics show that more people have been saved in the last 14, 15 years more people have been saved in the last 15 years than it had been saved in all the past 2,000 years since Jesus ascended into heaven. Because there's so many people on this planet. In fact, uh, uh, Muslims, this, this is an interesting stat that I, that I found I'd, I'd like to read to you. Muslims have actually, um, ever, ever since the, the inception of, of, of Muslim religion, there, there was almost zero movement of Muslims converting to Christianity. Very, very little movement. Once they're in Muslim uh, faith, they usually didn't leave and convert to Christianity. But in the past 15 years, there have been 7 million Muslims converting to Christianity every year since the year 2000. This is just, this is, this is the most amazing time to be living. Like, this is crazy. This is stuff, this is stuff that you were to tell the early church. They'd be like, no way. There's not even 7, 7 million people alive right now on the planet. Like, how's that, how that possible? 150 in a church plant that just started eight months ago. How is that possible? People are hungry for God. His house must be built. We must be about the Father's business. This is not the time to put our head in the sand and say, well, I'm just going to stockpile all my stuff and just wait for Jesus to come. That's not the time to do it. 
No, I do think it is good to be wise. Um, several families in our church, man, they got they got weapons, they got ammunition, they got uh, food, supplies, and stuff like that. And I'm going to their house if stuff goes down. All right, <laughs> stuff hits the fan, I'm going to their house. All right, and that's why it's important to be in a small group because <laughs> you might need them. Um, no, it's wise. It's wise to be prepared for that. But the reason is not so that you can be a survivalist. Because it's all going to go up in smoke anyway. The reason is so that you can be a revivalist. So that in the midst of craziness, in the midst of persecution, which I do believe is coming, not because I'm, I'm negative, Nancy, but just because I think it's reality. Scripture foretells it. In the midst of persecution, we can still proclaim the gospel of Jesus. We can still build the house of God. And if I'm writing and preaching from a prison cell, then, then that's what I'm doing. It's been done before. It'll be done again in the future. This is the reality that we're living in. In some parts of the world, Christians are losing their head for their faith. This is not bizarre. This is not, this is, it, 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 it can and will come here. <laughs> it can and will happen here. The, the, the Bible says that the end times, people will get tired of, 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 of the truth. They'll get tired of it, and they'll say, don't, don't preach to us anymore. And so they'll probably have to lock me up, because I'm going to keep preaching. That's just what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep building the house of God, because that's what I care about. That's what we ought to care about. That's what I, I hope is burned is, is burn inside of your soul. That, man, we, I don't, I, it might be the 11th hour. It might be 11.55. It might be like, we might have 30 seconds left. But whatever time I have left, I'm going to be building and taking care of the house of God. And secondly, and secondly, in, if, if we can go back to that scripture, Jesus gives, you know, a further explanation about that. And he says, basically, this is what I'm talking about. The servant who takes care of the house. One of the things he does is he feeds the other servants. So Peter's like, is this parable for us? Is this secret information or is it for everybody? And Peter's like, yeah, it's for you. But the purpose I'm telling you is so that you will feed other people. So this is another part. We got to take care of each other. We got to take care of each other, not just constantly trying to bring more people in, but we have to look across the aisle and across the seat, and we have to reach out and take care of each other. We got to feed each other. In fact, Scripture Hebrews tells us this in 1025. He says, he says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. As you see Christ's return coming sooner, encourage each other. Because here's the truth. The apocalypse, the word apocalypse, even though even though uh, uh, cinematography has kind of made that a, a scary, a horror flick kind of thing, the word apocalypse actually means revealing or unveiling. So it's not a scary thing for those people that are following Jesus. It's not a scary thing for Christ to come back. It's a revealing. It's, it's the veil that's, that's between us and God is going to be pulled apart, and we're going to have unbroken communion with him, and he's going to gird himself, and he's going to wait on us, and he's going to say, what can I get you, Harry? You like cookie dough with ice cream? Awesome. I got that right. I got a whole mansion full of cookie dough and ice cream for you, you know? It's like, and pizza, and, 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 and you know, you no heartburn ever. Like, this is what, this is heaven, people. Come on, somebody. Like, this is, this, is, this is God waiting on us. Encourage one another. Say, man, he's coming. And when he comes, when he finds us, when he finds us ready, wow, he's going to set the most amazing table for us. He's going to receive us to himself, and it's going to be this amazing, this amazing marriage. This amazing marriage between him and us. Unbroken intimacy. We've got to encourage each other. And that's why we launched small groups. Uh, a few weeks ago, we launched small groups. We have small groups meeting every night of the week except Monday night. Uh, we have small groups meeting even some during the day. And we 
strongly encourage you to get in a small group, to, to connect to the small group. So if you want to connect in a small group, we have an information table. And when you leave today, stop at the information table or even in your worship guide right there in your hand is a list of all of our small groups with phone numbers for all the leaders. And we just, like small groups just got started. I'm going to go back to that scripture so you can leave it up. Small groups just got started, but that does not mean that you, you're being an outsider, okay? We just got started. You are totally welcome to join us on this journey. One's meeting today. A women's small group is meeting with my wife. They're leading a women's Bible study. And so it's so important that you get connected so that you can take care of each other and that we can take care of you. We can feed you and we can make sure that you're ready. Finally, he says, uh, it, it would be good for that servant whom the master finds doing what he uh, doing what he said when he returns. 44 says, truly I tell you, he'll put him in charge of all of his possessions. But, he said, suppose the servant says to himself, my master is taking a long time in coming. A lot of people have been saying that. And then he begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and eat and drink and get drunk. Now I thought about that. Why in the world would he start beating people? Like, it seems really strange to me. This guy is like, wow, why is he, like, maybe maybe his servant is, you know, maybe maybe his master is not coming for a while, so he's going to watch Sunday Night Football, you know, that's what he's going to do. But no, he resorts to beating. And uh, as I was doing some research on that, it, it, it just appeared to me that, that the reason why he's beating other servants is because he's taking on the role of a master. Because that's what masters were in charge of doing. Nobody was allowed to do that except masters. And so this is a warning from God. This is a warning from Jesus. He said, look, here's, here's, here's what you don't want to do. You don't want to begin to think that you are your own master. You don't want to do that. You need to remember that somebody else owns you. Somebody else is your boss. You need to remember this because if you don't, you'll start living like you're your own master. There's a passage in uh, Philippians I would like for us to, to read just as we close. Philippians 3.18 says, For I've told you often before, this is um, Paul writing, he says, And I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. There are many people who call themselves Christians, but their, their lives don't reflect that. Their conduct shows that they're actually enemies of the cross. These are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. <laughs> appetite is not just about food. Appetite is about any, 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 um, any craving that you have. God is their cravings. It's, it's, their, it's their, their flesh nature. It's their human nature. They live by that. That's their God. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. Man, that's so key. <laughs> they, they brag about shameful, and they only think about this life on earth. If this describes you today, I, I would encourage you to get right with God because we need to take care of his house. We need to take care of each other. We need to take care of ourselves. This isn't like turn or burn kind of moment, but it's you're living in your last days. I'm living in my last days. And I need a reminder personally, that my conduct needs to not be in opposition to my faith. My conduct needs to be in line with my faith. I need to live like I talk, like I say, like I believe. And it's, and it's extra fun when you get to preach it, because then God definitely <laughs> tests you on everything. Really, really cool. You guys should try it sometime. 
but not here. Um, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> they want anybody to get crazy ideas. Um, verse 20 is so key. He says, we are citizens. He says, look, you're, you're only thinking about your life here on earth, but here's the reality. We are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power which he will bring everything under his control. And so this is, this is something that he says, man, we are, we, we, we were living in weak mortal bodies. We need, we need aspirin and, and glasses and, you know, we're like we're, we're weak mortal bodies. But here's, here's the good news. Jesus is coming back and he's going to give us new bodies. But the key is we have to remember that we are citizens of heaven, not citizens of earth. And so many things are pulling for your attention here on the earth. And I just want to challenge you, keep an eye on heaven. Keep an eye on eternity. Keep an eye on what matters for eternity. That's one of the first things I always think about whenever people come to me with bad news in their life. I always think, okay, 10,000 years from now, you're sitting in heaven. Jesus is waiting on you, getting you cookie dough and ice cream and, and all that. Is this going to matter? Some things do matter. Things that keep you out of heaven matter. <laughs> things that keep you out of the presence of God matter. But everything else, man, it's just, it's just it's, it's not important. That's why we got to take care of his house because his house is going to matter 10,000 years from now. That's why we got to tell people about Jesus because they're going to be in existence 10,000 years from now. The only thing in eternity is God and people. That's why we are here to serve God and love people because those are the things that matter. Those things are eternal. Everything else, your car, your house, your job, your position, your fame, your, your, your acknowledgments, the gratitude that it was owed to you, all, this kind of, all that kind of stuff doesn't matter. There's something that does matter, and it's eternal, and it's your relationship with Jesus Christ. And anything that touches that needs to go, needs to, you need to deal with it today. And so maybe you've never made a decision to follow Jesus. I'm going to give you the opportunity right now. We're going to uh, just bow our heads for just a moment and close our eyes. And let's just take just two minutes.